So hello everyone, welcome to Chats Over Coffee with my yoga teacher, with me, the yoga teacher, and... Me, the student, or the... (laughs) (laughs) The non-yoga teacher? The non-yoga teacher, yeah. Well, comedian. What have you got going on this month in January? Obviously I'm working. I mean, I'm in uh, somewhere near Sheffield, Manchester, Newark, Nottingham, Leicester, Shrewsbury, various London things at the end of the month. Fern Brady's tour support starts at the end of January, so I'll be doing one of those in January and a few more in February. Oh. Friend of the show. So, yeah, that's so just, I don't know, so just I'm just chugging around doing bits and bobs what are you up to in january well i've got the first week off sorry (laughs) (laughs) and then later in january i'll have my regular yoga classes uh three classes a week is it not a big month usually because people were wanting to turn over a new leaf and all that sort of thing yeah in the past january has always been like a really big you know obviously with it being yoga and and everything being health and fitness there's a lot of like ah new year new me kind of stuff but since covid i find it extremely unpredictable so who knows maybe we'll get more people in classes or in the new year and maybe people will just meditate more and take more baths i don't know depends on what (laughs) kind of self-love they want to (laughs) do Not hot baths in this uh, energy crisis. Yeah, hot showers. Hot, hot quick, quick showers. Quick showers, <laughs> three-minute showers. Something that might be interesting is I've decided to do a little bit of kind of giving back. So what I'm doing at the moment is um, holistic health coaching. And one of the things I decided I want to do is offer a pay-as-you-feel every quarter so every season so starting in spring i'll have a kind of pay as you feel option if someone wants to take it up and i won't delve into that so i just want to make it clear that you don't have to prove to me that you don't have money or something and <laughs> i want to know though i want i want some accounts uh, <laughs> I, want, I want your bank account scanned and i want to check this you know, you're taking advantage of my colleague <laughs> <laughs> but if you're interested in that as well you know get in touch okay should we let the show start then yeah If Buddhism was real, right, you say it's real, don't you? Because it's not disproved by science. But I mean, like, see where I'm going with this, right? So if you had Buddhist Facebook, every time, like, National Geographic posted loads of old pictures of wildlife, you'd get tagged as the animal that you were in, like, a previous life all the time, which would be really irritating, wouldn't it? So you'd be looking at your phone, there's, like, some squirrel from 1953 or something that used to be. I don't know. So I did a new material night last night for the first time mm. in ages. I did half an hour and the best joke I did was about meditation. Fantastic. Yeah, so that, well, that's only like according to the people that were there. Yeah, of course. You don't know unless you do it a few times. Mm-hmm. But the joke was about having a meditation teacher that had died. And just before I found out he died, I was thinking to myself, this is a long class. <laughs> So I know. Well, it's better than I thought it'd be because you don't know. Like, <laughs> you think you get better at knowing what's funny, but then you do it in front of people, yeah. and then you don't really know because the people are the people are the boss. It's a true democracy. But then a weird thing happened afterwards. Mm. So a woman comes up to me afterwards and says that. Oh yeah. So, so I don't know if I'm giving off this aura these days, right? But so she comes up to me and she says, "I can tell you're a meditator." I, I forget the phrasing she used, but that's not the first time that's happened in the last couple of months. Oh. The other time I didn't even mention it, but some woman that was like, uh, she told me she was a yoga instructor, actually. Okay. So I was like, oh, you should listen to my podcast. But then she started talking about stuff that you definitely don't 
talk about she's microdosing magic mushrooms and stuff every day and things and talking about energies and stuff and uh i thought eh, well you might enjoy it but i'm not going to actually hammer this point um and she was talking about how how she could detect a really strong energy from me and stuff like in a similar sort of vein i sort of thought either people are mad and are just projecting or maybe i i don't know maybe i am just like giving, giving off this uh it made me feel good anyway super calm super calm vibe yeah like a yeah. zen like guru type guy you know you know these yeah that's something to aim for anyway i don't know it might be nonsense like there might be 99 percent of people think i'm some paranoid mess and like don't say it to me <laughs> i just thought it was funny that that's just happened a couple of times recently Oh, that's cool. Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. It just makes you feel like, yeah. <laughs> People can tell me yeah. I'm a good comedian all the time. I'm used to that. So it's quite nice to hear some different kind of <laughs> phrase. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, random question. Do you, have, do you have a private pension? No. Just your state pension? No, I was just curious. I was just curious. Because obviously I've got the same kind of conundrum, you know, pensions. I don't have a private pension at the moment, but it's kind of like... You're supposed to do it when mind. you're really, really young. If you do it in your twenties, or the best something. time to do your private your private pension is yesterday. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> when you're twenty or eighteen or something ridiculous. And the next best time is now. I sort of don't want to retire um, though, really. Yeah, but eventually one day you will have to slow down so that you're not. I could do more writing, like you're doing driving though. loads or something. I might go on a retreat for uh, when I need to retire. I'll just go on a retreat then, and it'd be like a twenty year okay. retreat. And I just stay there. <laughs> I mean, what the overheads That's there? Not, um... I assume you mean like not retreat retreats. I assume you mean like um, finding an ashram or something like that. So usually a retreat is a place where you go on holiday and you just spend a few days and you buy the pool and you have yoga and you have like vegan food and a yoga teacher on hand. Yeah, right. and... I thought it was like a Vipassana meditation retreat where you're in silence for five days. Well, you can find those too, yeah. And then I just yeah. eat gruel or something. I don't know what the... <laughs> I don't know how it works. <laughs> and then and then I leave and I'm a one with nature and stuff and I can, you know, communicate with cockroaches yeah. or something. I don't know what the... I don't know how it works. <laughs> okay, so, so your retirement plan is to go find a community that will feed you for... <laughs> yeah. Feed you and clothe you. <laughs> well, no, I mean... I'll do the small amounts of manual labour that they need you to do. That's what Leonard yeah. Cohen did. Yeah, it. karma yoga. Yeah, Leonard yeah, Cohen did it for ten years. Yoga. You know, he did it like um, he lived up a mountain for ten years and just did like mm. manual labour every day in silence. And then he found mm. out that his agent was stealing all his money, and he had to go on tour mm. for like the last five years of his life. Um, oh which worked out for me because I got to see him live, which is great. But. <laughs> So as long as I trust whoever's looking after my uh, stocks and shares, I say. Well, there, you know, there are actually places where you can, you know, the Manjushri Center in Olveston. You can go there. Uh, That's really lovely. That's gorgeous. I would always recommend that place. It's beautiful. Did I tell you I did a gig there at the Laurel and Hardy Museum once? I think so. I haven't been because I've never been to Olveston. I always just go to the Manjushri Center when I'm there. I'm just like, hi, Olveston, bye, Olveston. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so let's just get on to the... Yeah, you mentioned in your email you wanted to talk about... I listened to a two-hour, 45-minute podcast with someone talking about AI and consciousness the other day, and uh, Mm. I thought it was interesting. So I wouldn't know where to start with it, to be honest. I think consciousness is a very difficult word to define, though, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I was thinking that as well. Yeah. So back in episode two or three or something, I mentioned there's a famous essay by Thomas Nagel, I think, 
called What Is It Like to Be a Bat? where it talks about the mm. sensory, the, the way that a bat's sensory perception of the world is vastly different to ours. But yes, yeah. because you know, the way it's what's that called echolocation and stuff like that, it would use mm-hmm. to form mm. so, so the brain of a bat would be using different forms of information to create a perception of the world to the ones that we get. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something in the essay about consciousness is defined as being the experience of what it's like to be something and that you're mm. having that experience for the bat will be having a very different conscious experience of the world to us because we're only interpreting the world in certain ways aren't we because we can't see ultraviolet light yeah. for example and um, yeah. and our brains filling in information for what we see and interpreting it differently because we've got blind spots obviously so the brain mm. fills that in and when we see optical illusions you know the ones where they have the two sticks and the circles around them well we don't see it how it actually is the brain reinterprets it in such a way that we see the perspective when there is not perspective yeah i i saw someone defining it as um so i i read a bit about consciousness because because my first thought was like well how do you define it and stuff and um they were saying about like oh awareness and and your response to that but then also like being aware that you are aware right yeah yeah you know, and I thought, oh, that's a that's a good way of putting it. Being aware that you're aware, if that makes sense. But then also, it was talking about how, like, like you were just saying about how we're limited by what we, how our senses perceive the world, and like it was talking about plants. We perceive plants as something that are innate or unmoving. When they move, mm. of course they move. They move loads and they grow. But we just we could only it's very hard for us to perceive that because we're not slow like plants we're a lot faster we live in like a different time to a plant i just thought that was really interesting and that kind of goes along what you were saying about like bats as well you know they perceive the world through their senses we perceive the world through our senses but then we also perceive the world through our time so how fast we live how fast we perceive things to be happening and how slow it also makes us perceive things differently plants is interesting because that was mentioned a lot because there's a specific pea type plant which can either grow in a straight line or in a coil depending on whether it touches say it's growing up a fence or something and it touches something it knows it can cling onto it then starts growing in a coil yeah so it in some ways is that making a conscious decision because it is making the decision somehow because then you go down into like well that's an innate so that is a biological sort of response to a situation isn't it Mm. um but then we're no different to that really other than we have the awareness of what we're doing post what we're doing more so than i assume a plant has because i don't know if you're going to locate in the brain or something but i don't think plants have brains today yeah i mean there's a there's a bit of debate around the connectivity between the like um mycelia networks in old forests and in the ground well, i've heard fungus underneath and uh, uh, fungus underneath communicate yeah. through like roots type things is that correct yeah. yeah the mycelia network is the network of fungus that live at the in the bottoms of forests as well as the trees so it's not it's both the fungus and the trees the trees can use the fungus roots to communicate but when you say communicate and you're talking about trees, we are genuinely talking about like sending nutrients, a little bit of signal sending um, in terms of chemical responses. But, you know, like you're saying, the awareness is a bit, it's a bit of a push. And it's certainly, I would say, not something that your average house plant is going to 
I wouldn't say that your average house plant is like alert. Right. <laughs> right. But it's, I mean, I'm never saying never. Love you. Yeah. But, but you don't uh, know, do you? Because you're, you you're not living the experience of a plant, are you? So there's a, exactly. So there's exactly. there's a human exceptionalism to it, isn't isn't there? To think mm. that possibly that possibly stems from so it doesn't stem from, but that would explain why a biblical interpretation of it is almost like we're the conscious mm. beings because we can talk and stuff, but everything else is mm. uh, for us to, you know, you know, do what we want with. So we end yeah. up thinking that we're the uh, enlightened conscious. But obviously we know animals, because a good metric, I suppose, is can an animal suffer? And you can see a dog mm. suffer and you can see um, many mammals suffer. Can yeah. So presumably they are having a conscious experience of some level. Yeah. That, you know, it could not maybe it's not as developed as us, or maybe it's a little bit pretentious to think that we're so much more. Even though our brains are mm. much more, uh, we, uh, the brains are we have are much more complex, aren't they, than anyone else's? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think the thing that stops us from being that helps us put ourselves up on that pedestal is knowing that we are at the top of the food chain. Mm. So that's not necessarily saying that we are the fastest or the best at something in specifics, but we are the top. There, We do not have anything hunting us. We never have to worry about that. Yeah, but we have... There is no... But we have culture alien. and stuff. Like, there's no... There's yeah. no culture yeah. of elephants or something, is there? Well, there is actually the grieving yeah. of elephants. They grieve and they... Yeah, I, I know what you mean in terms you know, of, like, we also have built, you know, societies and stuff like that, which obviously help us yeah. with that More perception. complex societies. Um, you don't want the ants to get in touch. You'll yeah. be like, we have societies as well, you know. <laughs> They're a bit more matriarchal <laughs> than yours, but we do have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I have thought about this whole like plant thing because I know you brought up pain and they do. There are plants that respond to damage, like when they like the in, in so quickly that we can see it. You know, like if you cut the leaf and the leaf shrinks, there are a few plants that actually like respond quickly to damage. But I think I think what scientists tend to say now is it's all chemical. It's it's, it's very very chemical based. So you cut that, the oxygen in the air reacts with the chemical that is now open to the air that wasn't there before because it had a barrier between it but now it's open because it was damaged and then the plant as a response as a like a um, uh, evolutionary response it is learned that if this reaction happens and it pulls back then it won't die you know it's less likely to die so like over time all of those kind of evolutionary steps have made it so that that plant pulls back and has that chemical response but is that the plant feeling pain and actually suffering like an animal would yeah, because yeah. <laughs> to, to parrot the phrases that were used in, so apparently in, I think consciousness is discussed in science as being the hard problem of consciousness. Mm. Uh, well, I just don't think that they have the, or at least the ways that they're looking at it now to explain it don't seem to be able to define or explain it in such a way that we've been able to define and explain other aspects of yeah. human it's like it's a it's a it's a fundamental property rather than something we can yeah, explain yeah, yeah. like um like like one of the fundamental forces of physics or something you know your gravity or something like that or your your strong electromagnetic force and stuff you don't necessarily try to explain the forces themselves they just exist and they inert this response in the world or in the universe i feel like consciousness is like that it just how do you explain something like that it just is well, it feels Almost. that way. And you can explain the action that it has and what the effects of it are, but explaining it itself is like a bit mind-bending. Because it's the 
an experiential thing i don't know how you map it on a graph or do any other scientific you can't like do that with other creatures can you because you can't have the bat experience or the plant experience and stuff so you don't yeah you know so it's like when i was a kid and i used to to toy with the philosophical idea that i was the only living conscious alive thing in the world and everything else was a robot or a hologram theoretically that could be true still because Mm. like i don't know (laughs) <laughs> like, I know I, yeah. I know I'm inside me and I'm real and that all works, but maybe everything else is some weird projection or something. Like I've no idea. Mm. I assume not, probably because you know I have an ego, but not that much. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's it's a hard thing from the sounds of it from the way that you would usually measure scientific things to be able to mm. get an angle on it. But there's a school of thought I was hearing that they don't know whether it's something that is sort of innate in all kind of almost in all atoms as a form of psychic energy so it's always kind of there because of the way that plants behave and stuff like that you, you could theoretically i don't know how you define it as well i suppose if you're looking at it mm. like that but I, I think a lot of people would probably have the assumption that it's something that uh, that consciousness is something that you develop when you have a complex enough machinery and then suddenly the lights come on you know what i mean so mm. so I think we would say, oh, an ant doesn't have that because an ant's just reacting and doesn't really know. But we do because we're more complicated and we have understanding and self-reflection yeah. and stuff like that. So and surely that means then that you could potentially grow more conscious then. Yeah, maybe. Because potentially, like, you say, like, oh, we can't experience, like, life as a plant. And yeah, that's true. But we do have cameras that can capture, you know, infrared. And now we can see infrared, even though we can't see infrared or, or you know, ultraviolet or these other kind of, you know, wavelengths that our eyes can't actually perceive. But we can perceive them now because we have we have increased our intelligence enough to be able to create that so that we can see it so is that a way of kind of expanding our consciousness yeah but it wasn't that would i don't think it is <laughs> because <laughs> unless you actually embedded the infrared vision thing inside your brain i don't think you would have the yeah, conscious so like experience where you'd be able to biomechanics yeah yeah <laughs> so so if, yeah. if the school of thought is that is a consciousness is to some degree something innate in all kind of like atoms and beings that's one school of thought and the other school of thought is the lights come Mm. on after a certain level of complexity even if it's a very small animal complexity possibly any animal yeah what does it say about when they i mean would we be when we create computers that can pass the turing test and have Mm. their level of complexity and algorithms that they're effectively it's like being around a real person do the lights come on in the robot or, w- or would we be treating them as if the lights had come on but they actually were like is the robot having a conscious experience if we yeah. develop something with that complexity i suppose the question i would try and find the answer to is 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 it aware that it, that it's aware you could program it to think that though wouldn't it? <laughs> so it would say that that's what but... i mean so you would have to leave that off and you would have to allow it to develop that own awareness of awareness right you know what I mean? Because mm. obviously AIs have to be able to learn and they wouldn't be artificial intelligence. They would just be artificial computers. <laughs> if they're just computing, then they're just computers. If you if they want to say intelligence, then you have to make them learn. That's the key. They have to be able to learn and make their own decisions, not just compute and then action, compute and then action or result. It has to take it one step further. It has to take that action and that result and then do something with it. Learn from it, remember it, and take action with that. It's complex, obviously, writing those kind of computer programs. You know, it's, it's extremely difficult. So, like, I suppose, like you're saying, it's about 
when does that point come where they're like aware that they're aware and now they're conscious? Or could they never be because they don't have, I don't know, like, I don't know. Because they just couldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of don't want to find out in some ways. Mm. <laughs> no, like... I don't feel. I don't feel like we'll ever get there, though. I also yeah, feel like well, you know... famous last words that. So when Skynet are listening to <laughs> this just... in thirty years' time after we're all been know, right? killed out, off. But, um, that's something always people <laughs> well, say. Oh, like... they're going to take us over. As if like, are we are we programming them like a virus or like a? Like, but I feel like a... what's more likely to happen is that people will just use that kind of artificial intelligence in a bad way, in a corrupt way. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like if you were to say like something extreme, like say if you use it in warfare, if you were to put a drone or an object that had artificial intelligence into a war zone and you were saying kill people that, you know, kill these people, give them pictures, I don't know, say they can do it, say there's no error at all and they can find those exact people and they meet those criteria, whatever criteria, they have a gun, they have this, they have this, whatever so criteria you mean you the Terminator basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, but there's every movie has done it. But like, if you, it, I think, I think even one of the Marvel movies did it. But if you could do that, then what's to say someone can't say, ah, well, I want to take over, and I'm gonna get rid of all the people that don't agree with, I don't know, my Trumpism. And then you, all you have to do is go on social media to find the people who would be inclined to disagree. And then you send out your artificial intelligence, and you don't even have to do it. You just say, look for them, and then do something about it. I think that's more likely to happen than intelligence growing and then taking over like Orville style or something. Because you can also do, um, mm. I don't know much about 3D printing, but you can 3D print, like if you have the DNA code, you can print off viruses mm. and stuff. Mm. So the H5N1 virus can just be printed off on someone's like, or the smallpox virus or something. I mean, like, mm. apparently it's actually not, Ugh. I mean, obviously, we can't do it. Your husband might be able to do it because he's a techie. But, but <laughs> yeah. as the layman couldn't do it, but apparently it's not that complicated to do it. And, you know, mm. it's out there. The code to create a, the small box virus is apparently just readily mm. available for someone to... I mean, we have a vaccine for that, but, like, still yeah, causes but, yeah, trouble, doesn't it? Yeah, I know what you mean. It. So, mm. It's weird. It's like technology is like, wow, we're, we're addicted to it, really, that, like, oh, what can we? what can we do? And mm. you can't undo an invention once it's been done, can you? That's the problem. There are good things about robots in a few years' time. We'll also be saying, oh, but... Uh, I don't know what we'll be saying about that. But, well, the negative consequences of having them around, we won't know for a while yet, will we? But, mm. but there's, uh, anyway, there's, I did write a joke about, I couldn't do this, it, this didn't work when I did it recently. I was trying to write mm. a joke about, you know, they have like, not to get too blue or anything, but um, mm. they have sex robots, don't they, or now, don't they? I've heard of that. Yeah, so they're like. Oh, I've seen it on TV. I won't say I know so, if that they exist for certain, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, don't protest too much. But so they they have so they're going to have them in the future, aren't they? So mm. so I thought an unintended negative consequence of that would be if 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 I ever became famous, then you know people like to have the possibility of having sex with celebrities, don't they? So mm. you wouldn't have to, would you now? Because they'd probably be catered for by sex robots that looked like famous people. Ew. <laughs> yeah. So, so you'd be like, in stop. But then, how dis- how demoralizing is that? If like 
I start checking Amazon to see how well I'm selling compared to all the others, and I find I'm like 129 or something. Or <laughs> like, <laughs> what a horrible! I don't even. I don't want to be famous. If that's, I mean, that's that's why I'm not going to try too hard at comedy. In case. <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah. sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, right, I've had my fun now <laughs> talking about what i want so you want to talk about yoga nidra so let's do that okay yeah um so do you know what yoga nidra is i have done it i think but that doesn't necessarily with me or with someone else well i've done recordings that you've done of it okay but that doesn't mean i know i've been to opera but i don't really know what that is so yeah <laughs> i haven't yeah, been yeah. to you've opera one, i haven't been to opera like... i just didn't i just couldn't think of something else <laughs> that i could say but you know so basically, your uh, yoga nidra is a um, a practice that you could, that you're guided through. Someone guides you through it, whether that's a recording or live or whatever. Um, and basically, it's um, supposed to put you into like a sleep like state with like awareness, trace awareness. So you're not like wide awake, but you're not asleep. You're not actually supposed to fall asleep. I mean that one of the problems mm. <laughs> of giving it a try obviously is you'll fall asleep but um you're supposed to not fall asleep completely so you get that kind of like state between waking and sleeping kind of like some people describe it similar to like the hypnosis state or a hypnagogic kind of state where you're kind of just a little bit more lucid but not super wide awake and thinking and things it's a guide so usually they go through things it's supposed to be done in a monotone voice. So not everyone's going to follow that rule, obviously. But like potentially it's supposed to be done quite monotone. I could be quite good at delivering that then. Yeah, you go. Yeah, you found no, your new calling. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it starts with a body scan usually. And then it goes into men- mental imaging. So if it's kind of like people's first one, I would always suggest or I would expect usually that there's some explanation (laughs) about what's going to happen because it's a bit different. It's a bit quirky or a little bit weird. And you tend to do it lying down and propped up. So you're either lying on bolsters. If you're in like a yoga studio setting, you might be on bolsters with blankets and pillows and cushions and, you know, all sorts of things. If you're doing it on your own, then it's suggested that you kind of prop yourself up. If you lie flat on your back like you would in Shavasana, you'd be surprised you don't actually last that long. You know, once you get to about 20 minutes, you really start to feel like you want to you want to get up. It's kind of uncomfortable. So I would always suggest that you lie slightly supported. Um, sat. It's not quite sat up but like you know support yourself so you're not lying flat on your back because you'd be surprised you do actually get quite uncomfortable kind of quickly but the mental imaging part is quite interesting because it's just like you just start saying things like a tree a red rose a mountain a stream in the mountain some stones the beach a full moon and you're like what what the heck's going on if you didn't know it was coming (laughs) it could make you think like what the heck but basically the idea is that again you're trying to bring yourself into that state between waking and sleeping and theoretically in terms of like why we do it it's supposed to be rejuvenating and really relaxing and it's supposed to be as good as sleeping Now, I'm not going to ever tell people to not sleep. That's a bad idea. But the idea is that you you could do like a 20-minute yoga nidra, and that's supposed to be the equivalent of going to sleep for an hour or something like that. It's uh, equivalent to a nap. Well, if there, it's supposed to be equivalent to like sleeping, sleeping. So like a nap usually lasts like 10, 20 minutes, something like that, mm. whereas that's about how long your no- yoga nidra would be anyway, unless you went for a really long one. So really, it's supposed to be better than a nap. Okay. 
if you were to think so about it So it's theoretically that compensating for a whole night sleeping, is it? Or <laughs> Maybe not a whole night. Because that seems incredibly like, like uh, efficient to be doing that, isn't it? I, mean, you could, I know, right? You'd be like having 23-hour days, couldn't you? I think the problem is with the yoga nidra is the risk of actually falling asleep especially if you feel quite safe, if you're doing it at home and you're comfortable mm. and, you know, that kind of thing. There is that risk. So it's a great way to make you have some rest. And, you know, there's that kind of, I don't know what, like a sweetness of doing nothing, you know, just like, I don't, I just lay here. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> but like, it's quite nice sometimes to give yourself permission to not do anything. But it also means that if you've come from a place that is already quite depleted, so if you're exhausted, overworked, um, if you feel like really depleted mentally, physically, emotionally, then you're going to come to your yoga nidra and it might be a great place to rest, but all these things are going to pop up. So this happens anytime we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. So when we start to rest, the things that that nervous system kind of owns and governs will come to the surface. So if you're not, if you've not got enough nutrition and you're missing things, then you might start to feel hungry or you might just be hungry <laughs> genuinely because you haven't eaten or something like that. If you haven't been sleeping very well, that's going to come straight up as soon as you lay down and you're just going to want to fall asleep. You know, those kind of things are going to start to become more and more obvious to you as you try to rest. So Sometimes if you're brand new to all of this kind of stuff like yoga and meditation, all of that, going straight in for a yoga nidra might feel really strange because you might feel hungry, you might feel sleepy, you might actually fall asleep, the mental imaging might feel confusing rather than relaxing. And it just ends up feeling a bit like, am I, have I really rested or have I just confused myself? <laughs> but if the atmosphere, if you go to like a, a yoga studio for it, then you'll probably always come away feeling rested because the atmosphere of the studio is very relaxing. You know, the props, the people, the calming voice, maybe candles or incense, you know, there's an atmosphere around it that can usually help you feel relaxed, even if it's a bit quirky. But I do think that if you're struggling with, you know, being depleted or being, you know, feeling that kind of like I've run out, that's it, got nothing left. Mm. <laughs> which, which admittedly around, you know, in America, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, starting New Year's, all these things that we've been through, you know, you get to the point where you're just like, that's it, I've got nothing left to give. So doing multiple yoga nidras regularly, like say a few times a week, even, even just finding something online might be good enough can help you with that. So the first one might feel difficult. The second one might feel more relaxing. The third one, you might feel like you're really gaining something. And it kind of like, almost like you would when you've had a, if you've missed meditation, if you haven't meditated for ages or something like that. So, so you like list a load of stuff, like the red rose and the, I don't know, yeah. traffic lights, whatever the hell. I haven't actually got my, my yoga nidra script but Can I just out, ask the logic yeah. of what why what specific things you're asking? I mean, you can't just like dick about, can you, and do... No, so usually it's related to nature and it's trying to bring up potentially not feelings as in like emotional responses, but just images that we go through in our lives. I think one of them is even a doctor's office. So it's kind of like disconnecting emotional responses to things that we have come across in our lives that would normally bring about an emotional response, maybe. So when you say a red rose, is that supposed to elicit a response in me? By the time you get to the point of listing everything, I would say that any response should be like purely logical if that makes sense you know what I mean you've got to the point where you're so relaxed and you're so it's right at the end and then you slowly bring people out so so usually I would say when you've got to that point it is more along the lines of hypnosis style feelings not 
responses. In fact, you go so fast that you shouldn't have a response, really, because it goes quickly. One, bop, 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 bop. You list the things and you just say, picture and go, move on, picture and move on. In a way, it's a way of exercising the brain as well. Like it just gets the brain doing things in a state that it normally doesn't do things in. Okay. You know, we're usually, as humans, we're usually off or on. We're either awake, alert, thinking, talking, perceiving the world, <laughs> or we're asleep. <laughs> the end. <laughs> you know? And I think this is like in between. You're almost perhaps trying to implant some sort of REM state, do you mean? Kind of. Yeah, doing kind that. of. So instead of the visual yeah. images of dreams, you just have these little visual images of things that are said and just move on. Yeah. When you started listing things, I started thinking of we didn't start the fire or something. <laughs> <laughs> the list is somewhat logical. It is worth mentioning that um, you're not supposed to practice yoga nidra if you have schizophrenia or if you feel like that might be influencing you in your life from like, you know, if someone in your close family has it or something like that, because it can trigger problems because schizophrenia is about that disconnection and multiple things and then this could you know because it's so strange it can it can it's not recommended so just that caveat is probably worth mentioning i usually mention it if i ever lead one but obviously if you're just going to go on youtube or something it'd be worth you know realizing that as well can i just quickly give you a little you know you know that song i just referenced uh like, I think so. Yeah, the Billy Joel. Is it Billy Joel? Billy Joel. Yeah, We Didn't Start the Fire. Mm. I don't like the song, actually, but <laughs> what's very interesting about it, I heard once. This is not my point, by the way, but I think it is interesting. Okay. I think it's kind of relevant to the stuff we talk about in some ways. So that mm. song is about the year he was born, and he lists a load of things that happened every year. So I think the mm. first one's like, I can't remember what happens. I think Harry Truman's the first thing he says, because like, Harry Truman was the president or became president that year. Or something mm. and then he bang bangs on like you know England the Queen Belgians in the Congo blah, blah, blah. and as the song progresses it ends in about sometime in the 80s and mm. the number of things that he lists earlier on in the time frame is much more like there are many many more things that he lists early on in the song than later in the mm. song like per year so first 20 years he's listing like 10 things a year and he goes down to like one or two by the end of the song and mm. I don't know whether this is a deliberative thing or not but someone has pointed out that that is genuinely the way that we view things as we age we feel like less happens yeah even though we're currently living in a time where fucking loads is happening but do you know what i mean like well that is true that, that is, is true. how the human that brain is, yeah. works yeah. so whether he's deliberately yeah, done yeah. that or whether it's like a byproduct of just a natural thing i thought that was very mm. interesting that he's lists far fewer things progressively as the song goes on than he does in his early life because because yeah. i was listening to the person talk about it and saying that in those years where he only lists so many things there was still loads going on he just doesn't mention it so much mm. so that's interesting isn't it mm, that is interesting but it's still a shit song <laughs> <laughs> anyway i have a question for you yeah, yeah. so going back to the yoga nidra topic a little bit yeah, but yeah, no, um should go back to it really one of the things that I came across when I was kind of like looking into yoga nidra, like benefits and things like that, you know, and uh, one of the things was it was talking about uh, reconnection. So basically the opposite of people being, you know, disconnected from their bodies, you know, from their energy, you know, from their kind of, you know, how they feel and all this kind of stuff and kind of like being that, making that disconnect. Do you think that 
you create that connection with meditation? Um, Do you feel like you reconnect with, with all those kind of layers, if you will, of yourself and your body and your mind and your emotions and your energy levels and your, I don't know, your soul or your spirit or your beliefs? Do you feel like you get that from your meditation? Uh, I'm not sure I'd frame it exactly that way. I'd probably just explain it differently because I don't really know when I tell people that I recommend doing it, I think people still are of the mind that it's kind of a relaxation thing more than it is what I would perceive it to be would be a reframing of your relationship with thought. Relaxation is a byproduct mm. of doing that and stuff. So I think it's just, I don't know, from what I'm being taught doing it, it's almost like treating thoughts in the same way that you would treat sounds and just disconnecting mm. from it, letting them sort of turn up but not identifying with them, doing that for 20 yeah. minutes a day and then it kind of changes the way that you react to you know the rest of the day in the same way that if you were practicing a sport for 20 minutes a day you would more instinctively be able to do if someone suddenly threw a ball at you in the middle of the day you'd yeah. just be like yep yeah, kick that back that's that's how i yeah, say yeah. so i kind of half forgot what you were asking there like what about what i'm getting out of it do you feel like it's reconnecting you to yourself to your body to like your energy level i don't think probably i would say that but then i maybe i just don't frame it that way that's that's all but then that's just what mm. helps me and what you know okay so this is where i thought we would get to uh, slightly so basically yoga nidra is different than meditation because it should give you that connection so it's not it's not just watching the thoughts you know it's not or say just but you know it's not the idea of sitting down and, and being in meditation it is supposed to do one more than that it is supposed to make that reconnection. And, you know, people potentially have like, you know, what you might consider like spiritual experiences or whatever, where they just feel more open or more loved, or they feel like a block has lifted. Or I don't know, if you're that way inclined, you might say someone's visited you or, you know, or you just feel like something's just shifted. And it's just like, ah, oh, that's it. It's not a problem anymore. Or I can let go or whatever, you know, or healing. You microdose mushrooms for that, I think. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, they might help. I think they probably do but, help, actually, with that. But I mean, like, that is like, that is the kind of idea behind the yoga nidra is it's supposed to be more. It's always supposed to be more than just, I say just, but it, you know, meditation has its benefits and it is amazing, but it is different. It is supposed to be different than that. And I think that's why you need a guide. And that's why it's supposed to be like a good guide. You know, you're supposed to find someone that you feel comfortable with and stuff because you'll never let go. If you're with someone you feel uncomfortable with, you know, maybe people would feel that they're, they are the same, you know, your nidra and your meditation, but I've kind of thought of them as being quite distinctly different, Mm. even though like you were saying to a to someone who hasn't thought about it very much or who hasn't really done a lot, might might just throw them into the same ballpark as just being relaxing things. Oh, they just help you relax when really they're byproducts of other of of the actual effort you know that you're trying to do. The purpose isn't to relax, but to do something else. Yeah, it's, it's better that the the rea- relaxation is a byproduct because you're not. Otherwise, mm. relaxation would just be a short-term thing. It's like going to a spa for a week and not fixing any of the underlying problems in your life. You're actually fixing the underlying problems yeah. and then being relaxed as a result of that, I think, possibly more so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like being really stressed, going to a spa and then going straight back to your really stressful job. Yeah, it's and like, then having more work because you're not going to it for really? an extra week, isn't it? And stuff. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any questions about yoga nidra? Uh... Have you got a recording out there of, of a yoga nidra? Like if someone wanted to 
have one like of you yes. doing it yeah so if you get in touch by email or messenger or through my through my website anything like that then i can send you the link to a recording which is yoga and yoga nidra the yoga nidra in that recording is about 25 minutes but there's a bit of physical movement at the beginning as well just to make sure we're comfortable and ready to sit still for uh, 25 minutes or lay still i should say in the yoga nidra so if anyone is interested in that, yeah, I do have the recording and that recording will stay available until the end of January. 2023. 2023, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have too much of a haughty ambition for this thing that it's still listened to in 10 years time. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, just in case. And I'm going to do a joke yoga nidra where I list all of the things in We Didn't Start the Fire at the end of the... <laughs> or, <laughs> and see if anybody notices. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you want to do a quick goodbye quickly? Forget what we say when we say goodbye. We just say thanks for listening. That'll do. I think that's a good, that's a, that's, that, will that do? <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, subscribe, like, follow us on all of the socials. If yeah, you're on maybe Instagram. Maybe don't bother with Twitter, it's rubbish now. But Yeah, not <laughs> it's Twitter. It's not a dig at Elon or anything, but <laughs> I'm just like, it's just, just, there's no point. If you want to see me the most, I'm on Instagram. That's where I'm the most. So if you want the most content, that's where you should find me. Not on TikTok yet. No, not yet. <laughs> right, see you next uh. month then. <laughs>